0: Hi, it's Mike Wheeler, co-host of Agility at Work, co-host certainly in principle, though unfortunately not in fact because Kim Leary, also co-host, is on assignment. She'll be back before terribly long. We have a guest today, and the guest is my HBS colleague, Francesca Gino. I want to talk to Fran today about her book, Rebel Talent. And I think you'll hear that uh, in the best of all possible ways, Fran is a rebel herself. (laughs) The subtitle of her book is Why It Pays to Break the Rules at Work and in Life. So let me invite Fran in here and we'll get started. One thing I don't know, Fran, is what did you do before you... Came to the Harvard Business School. Was that always an aspiration of yours, or did you imagine a different track?
1: It was definitely not an aspiration. I came to Harvard Business School really on a random path. Since after I graduated from college, I was inspired by the world of research, and I thought I would become a professor hopefully somewhere in Italy, in one of the universities that I knew well. But when I started my PhD program, as part of it, you had to travel abroad and go and find some interesting topics to potentially work on for your dissertation. And so I came to Harvard as a visiting student thinking that I would stay for six months but in reality, I never went back. So I, so I what, really loved it and found my way of staying. Uh,
0: what was your field when you were doing your graduate work?
1: The PhD program was the equivalent of business economics. Think about something between economics and management. But then when I came to visit, I started taking classes on decision making. I started taking classes in psychology and I just loved those classes. They were all about how is it that in many ways we don't make decisions consistent with our preferences or decisions that make. And so I got very much enamored by that type of research and decided to do some myself.
0: Well, lucky us. I think of you as both being interested in individual behavior, but also uh, on an organizational level. Is that a fair characterization? That's very fair.
1: It's probably one of the reasons why I love being a professor at Harvard Business School is because you go deep into understanding the psychology that drives individual decisions, but also have opportunities to be in the field and understand the role of context, which is obviously quite
0: important. Can you give me an example of that?
1: Absolutely. So, one example that comes to mind, which is something I've been talking a lot to leaders and employees across organizations these days, is the role of culture. And how often we might be thinking about increasing the opportunity for people to bring their best version of themselves forward. And so some of the questions that I've been investigating is whether certain organizational cultures allow for that to happen more and less easily. And so I feel like both exploring the individual experience as well as what's happening at the group level or the organizational level is important. It leads to better insights.
0: Well, there's culture in a social sense, and maybe we'll talk about that uh, today or in in some other episode. There's also corporate culture, if you will. I don't know that you've ever met uh, Mike McElrath. He works uh, up with uh, Novo Pione. A GE company in Florence. And Mike is very interested in dispute resolution. And he described a meeting he went to where it was a mini United Nations when he looked at countries large and small and, you know, on different continents and so forth. But the fact is they were all engineers, and that was sort of the dominant culture, notwithstanding what you know, it was their primary language and, and so forth. And sometimes there's a professional culture. Sometimes there's an organizational culture. Um, and you know better than I how those things either intersect or <laughs> battle each other. Any specific insights on culture? Is there a, a dominant thing that first and foremost, we are a professor or first and foremost, we are from Italy, Um what What sense do you make of that?
1: So, first of all, I'm very much in agreement with you on the idea that sometimes we think of cultures in the way in ways that are too simplified. So uh, you just uh, summarized it beautifully for us. So when I think about a context, uh, take a workplace, it's not only the location that influences how people behave, but is also the specific organizations. If they have a strong culture, the specific values that the organization stands for. I have looked at some of this in the context of research I've done on authenticity. So this is a word that is thrown out a lot uh, these days. And I think that sometimes we don't understand exactly what it is, since some people believe that being authentic means if I like wearing my pajamas, I show up at work in my pajamas, I and mean, it's not that. With authenticity, we also do filtering, um, especially when our behavior might affect others in ways that are not that are not good.
0: What do you mean by What do you mean by filtering in that context?
1: So let's imagine that part of my way of being is being very direct in the way I talk to people. And you and I might be working on a project. If my being direct affects you in a way that is negative, I, see. I hurt your feelings, then it's on me to do some editing. Um, either come to you to explain why is it that I prefer being authentic or I tone it down a bit so that you and I have a way of interacting that it is authentic, but doesn't lead me to hurt your feelings or uh, to damage how you perceive the work.
0: Yes, yes, and uh, perceive the work and perceive others and perceive yourself. Now, you're the author of Rebel Talent. It's interesting to imagine a culture where instead of being homogenous, there's some encouragement or at least tolerance for. People who s- swim upstream. Uh, what, do, what do you mean by rebel talent?
1: I often ask people to think about where the rebels in their business. And the image that comes to mind is that of the really annoying colleague that gets in our way, or the people we call contrarians and troublemakers. And What I wanted to do with the book is shift that type of thinking. I wanted people to understand that being rebellious doesn't necessarily mean being destructive, but there are ways of being a rebel that are actually quite constructive. And so who are those people? What do we stand to learn from them? And so as a concrete example, one of the people I talk about in the book that has been really an inspiring leader i've met is an italian chef his name is massimo bottura and what he did was to go to traditional italian dishes and reinvent them so he came up with really innovative ways of cooking traditional italian dishes
0: this is a big michelin five star or something right it's a three star star.
1: uh, restaurant that became the best restaurant in the world in 2016. so definitely Uh, a successful successful restaurant.
0: In part because of his willingness or maybe psychologically his need to be innovative. Can you tell our listeners uh, about it?
1: Absolutely. So this is a very busy night at the restaurant and one of the sous chefs working in the kitchen, whose name is Taka, was working on the last dessert of the night and he was a lemon tart. And Taka, who's Japanese, is known in the business for being incredibly attentive to detail. And so on that night, he's working on this dessert and all of a sudden the tart, the lemon tart drops to the floor. Taka almost starts to panic. And at that moment, Chef Massimo Bottura walks into the kitchen and sees the mistake. If I think about many leaders and what they would have done in that moment, probably they would have yelled at Taka or used it as a teaching moment. But Bottura instead looked at the floor and then up at Taka and said, Taka, I think we have a new idea for a new dessert. And sure enough, they came up with a new dessert. It's a deconstructed lemon tart. And it's now the most popular dessert at the restaurant. And the name for it on the menu is, Oops, I Dropped the Lemon Tart.
0: I have to ask you, I only speak a little bit of Italian. How do you say oops in Italian? Oops. I think I can do that. Oops! You had a little upbeat at the end of that, Fran. But I, he he has the luxury of being the restaurant owner. I assume he's running it. Um, he has the luxury to be innovative and 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 if you will, turn turn a disaster into a triumph. But uh, what if? What if you're, and help me again, what's the name of the fellow who dropped the dessert? Taka. So if, if Taka had been working for somebody else, as you say, he would have been lectured or yelled at or maybe even fired, as the, as the case may be. Uh, does he get a little credit for uh, creating the accident, or is that just happenstance?
1: It's interesting that they think about this new dessert as something that they co-created but I think oh. your question is a larger one too, that gets to the idea of who has the privilege of responding to accidents in the way that Botura did. And I think it's actually everyone. One of the things that struck me about this chef is that it's really his way of thinking, it's his curiosity. He often talks about how traditions are very well received experiments, traditions exist because they need to be rebuilt. And so if you have that way of thinking, I think that you go through work or through life, not just sitting with what's comfortable and familiar, but thinking about ways in which you can do things differently. At least you'll be asking the question of why and what if much more often.
0: I wonder, there's a little self-revelation in this. I think I'm a bit of a rebel. We talked about that before, about how I you know, got into negotiation through game theory and decision analysis, and I've gotten interested in agility and uh, how people interact. And as a consequence, in my MBA class, we always listen to Miles Davis and so forth doing improvising in in real time, which you have to do in, in negotiation. I don't know what there is about my nature. and I'm not asking you to put me on the Psychoanalyst couch here. What about by nature? I I have a saying, friend. It's it's this: if it's not broke, break it. <laughs> now, you
1: and would go uh, would become very good friends, I believe.
0: I'd like some of the lemon tart uh, on the floor dessert. Whoops! I dropped the tart. Uh, but what's interesting? People may have a, st- a stereotype of our school. Uh, is that I've gotten away with it uh, uh, it's been okay with, you know, the people running the curriculum that, uh, that I do experiment. And I don't know what you do, Fran, but you know, I've taught a negotiation course for ever and a half, but every year I'm doing something new in it. And sometimes it doesn't work. Um, uh, and sometimes it works very well. So, uh, people might think of HBS as dodgy, but, uh, my experience is that that kind of behavior is encouraged how how about you how much of a rebel are you yourself
1: i am still learning how to be an effective rebel it's interesting that if i think about some of the common questions that i've received when i presented the ideas from the book one of the question was how is it possible that you could write a book at harvard business school and the assumption is it's a very conservative place so How come? And to me, it's a question that was puzzling, interesting as well, because if you think about the mission that the school has, it's a very clear mission, but in a sense, we're given a lot of freedom in terms of How we make that mission a reality on a day to day basis. Mm. We have a lot of freedom and choices that we can make on how to innovate in the curriculum or how to teach the classes that we teach. And so, if anything, it gets at the concept of effective rebelliousness quite right, in the sense of leaders who brought these ideas in their organizations are leaders that define the boundaries quite clearly. Where is it that? You're supposed to break the rules versus not, and as long as you're doing in the spirit of the mission and you stay within those boundaries, however they are defined, people welcome your experimenting and pushing for new ideas.
0: You say that people welcome it. I assume that some don't. You know that you're not coloring in between the the lines. Are you? You may be more optimistic about human nature than I, but I can imagine some leaders who embrace it and others who are very, very clear that there are rules and they're going to be followed to the letter.
1: Yeah, you're right that part of the mission of writing this book was to say, look, there is a lot of goodness in constructive rebelliousness. So as leaders, but also as parents, as colleagues, let's be more open-minded. I think that what it comes down to often is that we are set in our own ways and we often look at change as something that produces a loss or that is mm. uncomfortable. In the spirit of improv, I used to do a, a, what I thought was a really interesting exercise inside of my executive education classes where I would pair people up at a certain point and ask them to stand in front of each other. And just for a couple of minutes, look at each other so that you pay attention to the person in front of you. And then I would ask each pair, each person in the pair to turn around. So now I'm standing next to you, but we're back to back. Okay. And now that we're in that position, what I'm asking us to do, all of us to do, is to make two changes on our appearance. And so you start seeing people taking their glasses off or um, changing the way their shirt is on them. They start making changes, simple changes to their appearance. And then after a brief pause, I say, okay, two more changes, two more changes. And we go on for two or three rounds. And by the time you get to the third round, you see these almost faces of panic. <laughs> <laughs> In the executives, because they're taking stuff off and they start thinking that it's not appropriate anymore. How
0: how far do you go with this, Rand? if it's not appropriate?
1: But it's what's beautiful is that they're looking at the exercise as something where in every round they need to make a change and the change is interpreted as I need to lose something. But nobody stopped them from adding things to their appearance or just turning around and uh, talking to their partner and see how they could solve the problem together. But I think what the exercise does in a funny way is point to something that is very true of our human nature, that we perceive change as a loss. Rebels don't see it that way. I think you're a rebel. I don't think that you might tell me, but I don't think you see it that way. You see it as an opportunity to do something different, potentially better.
0: Yeah, the, and the potentially sometimes the potential is realized, and sometimes you know I trip and fall on that. But I guess I I wonder. Imagine imagine that you're a leader, whether it's you're the head of the company or head of a department, Fran and. You embrace these values of wanting to see people who are willing to experiment and learn and are not afraid of making mistakes. How do you identify them when you're going through an interview process?
1: There are interesting ways of picking up the rebel talents, as I call them, during interviews. You need to think of them separately. So let me speak to curiosity, for instance one of the things that I would ask the person is to tell me about the industries or companies that they follow. Hmm. And you can pick up on a more curious person if the person is showing broader interest. So if they only follow the very company that they're interviewing for or just companies that are in the same sector, probably a person who's less curious than people who are wider in mm. their range of interest.
0: You know what would be sad is if there's somebody who really has broad interests and you're interviewing them, but they feel they have to be conventional. Mm. So so I'm wondering if there's any way if you can put yourself in that position of somebody who is a rebel leader and wants rebel people working with him or her, is there anything you can do to, to express that? And I'm asking in real time. How do you detect it to, in people? And then following that, how do you nurture it?
1: So what is interesting that often we don't understand is that in contexts like interviews or first dates or any interactions, really, people can pick up inauthenticity rather quickly. And so if the person is trying to cater to the interviewers to the leader who's asking the questions, I think that the leader would be able to pick that up. In fact, when I look at the talent of authenticity, which is one of the rebel talents, I often advise people in interviews to ask questions like the type of questions that get in fact asked, what's one of your weaknesses? And if the person says something like, I'm too much of a perfectionist, the person is not being authentic. But if people are genuinely talking about something that they're not perfect on, that is a challenge Mm, for them. mm, mm. That's a great sign for authenticity. What we don't understand is that when we cater to the interviewer's interests, we are actually less likely to get the job. My colleagues and I have good data on this. Being authentic is a much better approach.
0: That sounds right. I'm just curious. Have you had pushback from whether students or colleagues or readers of the of Rebel Talent that you've actually not dismissed out of of hand? Is there another side of the of the argument that intrigues you?
1: There is a side that was one that was brought to my attention by a student in one of my classes from years ago. Soon after the book came out, he wrote to me an email and said. Saw the book, bought the book, read the book. You need to change the subtitles. So imagine I'm there. I'm super excited that the book is finally out in the market. Since these are long <laughs> journeys, as you well know, and I'm now freaking out. This is like, what? What did I do? That is not accurate. We decided to talk, and his argument was, "Look, I'm doing everything that is written in this book, but it's not paying off." I don't feel I'm getting the benefits that you're telling me I should be getting. And I couldn't understand from talking to him what the problem was. And so fortunately, he was working in a company not too far away from Boston. And so I decided to show up with his uh, agreement and just follow him for a couple of days to see if there was an opportunity for me to learn something that would lead... (laughs) to a book retraction, if you will, or to something valuable to him. And what I've noticed and discovered just from the first few hours of spending time with him is that his thirst for curiosity, his thirst and desire to change things had become arrogance. I think he was so frustrated that things were not moving fast enough or were not changing fast enough that he forgot a really important talent, which is perspective. What that means is that I'm coming in with a new idea, but I don't trash your own way of thinking. I come in wanting to add a different perspective to the conversation rather Uh than suggesting that your way of doing things is not
0: working. Uh, We've talked about Rebel Talent, and I'm sure that people are gonna pick up the book. What is the subtitle, by the way?
1: why he pays to break the rules at work and in life. Okay. And you
0: stuck with it.
1: I stayed with it.
0: (laughs) But what's interesting, what I heard, and what I suspect that our listeners have heard, is you've talked about the book, and then you exemplified it. You exemplified it by saying, I'm curious about his skepticism. For his sake and for my curiosity, I want to go and follow him around. That's kind of rebellious on your part. It certainly dis- solves, the, uh, solves the curiosity problem. So just let me remind people one more time, it's rebel talent. I think you've gotten a good, uh, speaking to the listeners here, a good taste of uh, Fran's curiosity, values, and humor as well, which makes quite a uh, combination. So Fran, let me thank you very much for joining us on Agility at Work.
1: It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: It is so much fun to talk to her. I learn a lot. I love her humor, her insight, and her imagination. Uh, I assume came through loud and clear, and I wonder how you feel about uh seeing yourself anew perhaps as a, as a rebel and how you can put that to, uh, to good work. One last reminder, I do have a relatively new newsletter, The Jazz of Negotiation. Much of the content on it is free, and you can find it at wheeler.substack.com. Uh, let me give that to you one more time. Wheeler.substack, that is S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com. Um, look forward to hearing your comments on pieces that I post there. Also look forward to getting together next time for um, the episode that will follow this one. Between now and then, be well.